Live from our respective locations, I'm MOCA DSV's Public Information Associate, Megan Owens, and this is Momentum Live, a podcast from your coalition connecting advocates across our state. So for today's event, we'll be looking um, at this new year with MOCA DSV and the many exciting opportunities and initiatives the coalition is planning. Joining the live event today, we have our new CEO, Cheryl Rob Welch. We have our education director, Nancy Foster, and our partnership development coordinator, Havana Watkins, public affairs director, Matthew Huffman, and public policy director, Jennifer Carter Dockler. So we're gonna get started um, with hearing from our CEO, Cheryl Rob Welch. Thanks, Megan, and thanks for everybody for joining us. So the thing I keep being asked is, so what do you see as the future for the coalition? And oddly, I see sort of what we're doing. So the reason I say that is because, as you know, MOCADSV was founded um, 40, more than 40 years ago with basic core tenants, which was to provide training and technical assistance to members, engage in public policy, and provide opportunities for networking and alliance building. And since day one, that's what we've been focused on. So. While I wanna continue that work, it really is been a passion of mine because while I'm only in my first 31 days as CEO, I've been with the organization for 19 and a half years. And so from the day that I first walked in the door, that was with a purpose of providing professional services to our members and engaging them in ways that had meaning to them. And so I, I'm hoping over the last 19 years that you've seen some of that work. And so I'd really like for us to be able to continue that. So one of the things that I'm always interested in is sort of a study around what does it mean to be an organization and what is the longevity of an organization. And there's a particular management model that says that basically an organization, particularly as old as the coalition, that you reach a level of maturity. And when you reach that peak of maturity, you have a decision to make. And that is either to do nothing, maintain the status quo, and go quietly into that good night, or that you pick a moment of renewal um, innovation and enterprise and decide that you're not finished yet and that you're going to find a new way to take that that maturity and move it upwards instead of downwards. And I really feel like that as a coalition staff and as a membership body, that we're not ready to go quietly into that good night, that that's not who we are. So I'm really excited that we have a great team with us who are anxious to get started on making sure that we're moving forward and ahead and upward. And I think that one of the things that you're going to see, especially when Nancy starts talking to you, is that we're well on our way to doing that. So for 2021, our training numbers were frankly one of our highest numbers that we've had in 42 years of service. So we are by far not finished yet. One of the other things that we've been really focused on is figuring out how to expand what it means to be a member and to provide more <clears throat> pardon me, to provide more benefit to membership. And so some of the ways that we've done that is that we've partnered with an HR firm to provide free and reduced pricing for HR services for our members. Pardon me. <clears throat> I didn't invite the frog to join me, but it decided to anyway. So sorry about that. Um, and then we've also partnered with an, a risk management association that provides tools and resources so that folks can figure out how to mitigate risk. So the reason that we continue to provide benefits is that we feel like that you need to earn more bang for your buck when you're a member. And in addition to that, one of the things I'm pretty sure that my coworkers will tell you on the side that they really hate is that pretty much every article I read, I read it with an eye towards 
can we provide that to our members or can we partner with that person or that entity in order to get that for our members? Um, I'm not gonna tell them, so don't tell them that I have an article on the corner of my desk that I read this weekend that also includes that. <laughs> so I'll be talking to my team later this week about some of those benefits. One of the other things that we've done for our members over the course of the last decade, maybe 15 years, is that we've invested in innovation when it comes to our data services. And so probably 15 years ago, it reached a point where we were tired of a team, as a team, as I'm sure many of you are, of doing our data collection and having to sort through manual records and count a new number for Department of Justice, count a new number for this funder and for that funder. And what would take us four days, we invested resources, time and energy into building a data system called Coalition Manager that expedited that process for us. And so what started as a fix for just us as a coalition is now being used by more than 60 other associations and coalitions around the country. So with that success and the IT partnership we developed, we also invested in, and many of you will have know about our newest product, which is Vila. And so we partnered with the same IT firm to provide that same ability to expedite the services that you need in order to gain reports for grant funders, your timesheets within that new product for Vila. So again, it's another way that I think that we continue to strive to meet the needs of our members and be creative when doing that. And so one of the other two things that when asked about, you know, what am I really excited about? And is one is, is that we are also working on a new product line, which is sales strategies. And so what we're focusing on is a recognition that there are survivors in the workplace every day. And if employers don't know how to look for those signs, acknowledge that and respond appropriately to both victims of domestic and sexual violence, but also for sexual harassment in the workplace, then we're not gonna be able to end any of that within the workplace. And so one of the tools that we're getting ready to unveil this spring is focused on working with managers in order to not only address sexual harassment in the workplace, but to change the workplace culture so that it ends, it ends sexual harassment in the workplace period. And so those are some things that I'm really excited about. And then my last one, and I'm, I'm always impressed with the power of social media. Don't always understand it, but I'm always impressed by it. So one of the things that we're working on is, as you may recall, in October, we asked for the Capitol Dome to be lit purple for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We've made a similar request for April 6th of this year to have the dome lit for Teal for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So what we're hoping is, is that if you're listening to us today and you have an opportunity because you're in a workplace where you can actually have lighting changed, whether it's your police department, your sheriff's department, or any other community health center, for example, we're encouraging you to start working on making sure that your light is teal, October, or not sorry, April the 6th. And so what we'd like to see is a uniform and a widespread social media presence of every community in Missouri lighting their community teal in order to recognize and bring awareness to sexual harassment and sexual assault and recognizing that so that victims know that you're supporting them as they try to seek safety. So if you're interested in partnering with your community member and your service provider, you can go to our website, which I'm sure is going to be brought up on the screen here in a little bit. You can go to our website and look for a service provider in your area. So those are some of the things that I'm in particularly really excited about. And I think that the capacity that we have in order to let our communities and Missourians in general know that really united, we can end rape and abuse. And so I'm really excited about the opportunities that we have ahead of us. So Megan, I'm gonna turn it back over to you.
Thank you so much, Cheryl. It was just really great to hear all the things that you're excited about. And even though, you know, I know I'm familiar with those things because of working at the coalition, it still makes me really excited to hear um, those things kind of expressed to all of our members. So next we're gonna hear from our education director, Nancy Foster, about upcoming training opportunities and other exciting developments in our education offerings. So take it away, Nancy. Thanks, Megan. And thanks, Cheryl, for mentioning our training numbers, because I always love the opportunity to brag about our training numbers. So she's right. Our training numbers have continued to grow throughout the years. And when the pandemic hit in 2020, we adjusted very quickly to providing virtual training through Zoom and actually trained even more folks in 2020 than we had in 2019. Now we're really full swing into this pandemic and our trainers have become more and more adept at offering interactive and engaging virtual training opportunities. So we hit our highest number yet at over 7,200 people trained in 2021. <laughs> and as you would expect, part of this increase was from online training. In 2019, we offered 14 online courses, but by the end of 2021, we had developed 36 courses. And in 2020, almost 2,000 people completed one of our online courses, and we nearly doubled that last year. So that's another exciting, I, for me, that's exciting. <clears throat> and another thing we did last year was we developed Advocates Academy, which is our 48-hour online training for members. We used to offer foundations of advocacy and advocacy and practice in person. And so when new advocates would start at a program, they could come to the coalition for this training and get their basic training knocked out. But sometimes they'd have to wait a month or so for the next one to be offered. Now with Advocates Academy, they can start their basic training online as soon as they're hired and they can complete their course on their own timetable and get everything they need to meet the standard for training right away. Um, we are also purchasing new tools to enhance our online training this year. So I think you should watch for even more interaction and engagement in our online training. I'm super excited about um, the new developments that you're going to see later this year. And um, again, with the creation of Advocates Academy, our staff have had much more time to focus on other training instead of having to provide foundations of advocacy and advocacy and practice. So this year, we've created a lot of different series of trainings for our members. We're going to offer quarterly court advocate collaborative training calls. We're going to offer quarterly people of color leadership trainings. We're going to also do quarterly member services reports and outcomes trainings. And um, a new thing that we're doing this year is the Prevention and Health Equity Collaborative. That will be quarterly. The Sexual Assault Services Collaborative will be quarterly. And then the Immigrant and Refugee Services Roundtables. We've been doing the two or so a year, but this year we're gonna do four. Um, so with all of those things being offered, there should be something for everybody. And another cool thing about the series is that you can register for all of them at one time if you want to, or you can register one at a time, whatever works best with your schedule. Another new thing we're doing this year is a monthly lunch and learn called Advocacy Cafe. Each month, we're going to focus on a different aspect of collaboration that could make a significant impact in the lives of the survivors and communities we serve. 
So these short meetings are gonna provide advocates with an array of insight, resources, and new skill sets. If you're looking for new, creative, diverse, and interesting ways to support survivors and prevent violence in your community, bring your cup and have a seat at our Advocacy Cafe. And we would never forget about our leaders and our managers. We revamped our Director's Academy in 2020 and began offering it as a two-year program focused on executive directors who have been in their position five years or less. The Academy now includes eight courses for each year. The courses are specifically selected and designed to enhance your skills to meet the demands of the primary aspects of the work you do as a director. So things like coalition building, personnel, finance, public policy, fund development, outreach to your community, quality assurance, and of course, coaching and building a team. Um, also, in the last few years, we began seeing a real need for more management training for mid-level managers and senior managers. And we started offering uh, quarterly, monthly calls and for all of those um, for management trainings. So I, we have a lot of cool things planned for leaders and managers this year, so stay tuned. And then I also wanted to mention that Cheryl brought up alliance and partnership building. And I think it takes everyone to end domestic and sexual violence. So it's vital that we continue to connect with each other and continue to build community partnerships. So we host quarterly regional meetings and they all have a training component in them too. We're gonna to continue to do that this year. Um, and then we, will continue to offer training and educational opportunities throughout the state. This is another area that I think we saw a large increase in numbers last year. We more than doubled the number of community members that received training from the coalition in 2021. Um, and I think with the introduction of sales strategies, we can expect those numbers to just keep increasing. So it's important for us as the coalition to be reaching out to our community at large and teaching folks about the dynamics of domestic and sexual violence because we intersect with, with everybody really. And so just like I said, I think it's, if we want to build a world without domestic and sexual violence, we have to all keep working together to end it. So that's it for me. Thank you so much, Nancy. I love always hearing about just how many trainings we're able to offer and the ability to kind of use different formats and some of the different styles we've introduced, um, you know, as a result of the really difficult time we've been in because of COVID, we've been able to offer some trainings we never would have been able to before. So that's a silver lining. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So next up is our partnership development coordinator, Havana Watkins, talk about our new collaboratives and other opportunities to develop partnerships and connections. So take it away, Havana. Thanks, Megan. Oh my gosh, thanks, Nancy. I always get excited about all of those trainings. Even before I started working at the coalition, I was always looking, what's training, what's next? So I'm excited to be on the other side of it now and still get to benefit from watching the trainings. So I just like to highlight a couple of changes we have made for 2022. So for the past two to two and a half years, we have held monthly pre prevention capacity building cohort meetings. And these meetings allowed members throughout the state that were providing prevention services or wanted to, um, whether it was at their campus or their program, to gather and discuss ways in which they are providing services in a unique way, or simply to be in community with others that are doing prevention work. 
We also really enjoyed learning from one another as well as hear what everyone is doing in their local communities. As we know, every city in Missouri looks different, rural and urban, they all look different, but we still can learn from each other on different ways so we can do things. So this year we are changing our format just a little bit. We have changed the name to Prevention and Health Equity Collaborative. And we will also only be meeting quarterly as um, Nancy had mentioned. So by doing this, we are hoping for just a few things. One, these offerings will be open to all of our members, regardless if you are currently providing prevention services or not. It won't be closed, so maybe you can reach one, um, come to one meeting, maybe you can't come to another, but they will be recorded, you will have access to it, so that's really exciting. Um, the second reason is we're centering health equity approach to violence prevention. This is something that was a priority last year and it's gonna to continue to be a priority. So we're gonna always make sure that everything that we do centers around health equity. And lastly, we will explore opportunities for building relationships with community partners and unlikely allies. Sometimes we don't realize how community members are doing complimentary work. So we're just gonna talk about some of those partnerships that we have and also begin to highlight those and maybe brainstorm other partnerships that we haven't thought about. The next collaborative I'm excited about is our People of Color Collaborative. Last year, we ended our PLC meetings with our first ever PLC Leadership Summit, and it was so energizing. And the gather, to gather virtually with other P, PLCs throughout the state was so cool to have that much energy going, and it was still on virtual. We know how exhausted we are from being in front of Zoom, but this was a great opportunity. This year, we're also moving um, these meetings to quarterly. And our goal is to allow opportunities that lift up our members in the movement that identifies people of color by giving them a platform to showcase their leadership. So if any of you are interested in leading and co-facilitating one of these meetings, please reach out and I'll be happy to help you with it. And we also have a number of PLCs who show great interest in um, having, uh, I'm sorry, our first ever peer mentorship opportunity. We realized that because we can't connect in person, that we've kind of been isolated because we've been short staffed everyone's been sick, we haven't been able to, to connect and collaborate and even meet each other like we normally would when there's not a pandemic. So advocates showed interest of wanting to have a peer to be paired up, uh, to be paired up with throughout the state. And I'm hoping that in between our quarterly meetings that these advocates can have a little time to encourage and mentor each other on personal and professional development opportunities. And if you did not reach out or you were kind of on the fence about it, there's still time to be paired up with someone. So I hope that by moving our collaboratives to quarterly, you all will have the opportunity to check out some of those amazing trainings that Nancy talked about, but don't worry because in Advocacy Cafe, we still got some prevention conversations coming. So thanks for everything and see you guys soon. Thanks, Megan. Thanks so much, Ivana. Um, it's so great to hear all about the different collaboratives and I'm really excited about getting to see, you know, prevention being infused more into our work because that's so often what we're doing in our positions in the programs is you're going to be doing a lot of prevention work in your normal job, even if your title doesn't say prevention in it. So I'm loving these collaboratives, really excited to see these um, you know, come to fruition. So now we're gonna hear from our public affairs director, Matthew Huffman about the 2021 COVID impact report and some important changes to our monthly service reports. So all you, Matthew. Hey, thank you, Megan, I appreciate it. So like Megan mentioned, I get to talk about some of our different research initiatives that are going on this year. We have a mission to unite Missourians with the shared value that rape and abuse must end. And we advance that through education, alliance, research, and public policy. 
So we got to hear from Cheryl and Nancy and Tavana about some of our education initiatives, some of the things that we're doing around alliance building. There's definitely a recognition internally though that we don't always communicate out the different research aspects of our job though. And that was actually something that was a really intentional focus of our strategic plan in 2019 through 2021. So I also wanted to take a moment to really highlight that today in our live Facebook event and really kind of talk through the different aspects of research that we do and then how it applies to members. So I'll give three examples today. Like Megan mentioned, the first is our COVID impact report. So last fall, we sent a COVID survey out to our member agencies to gather information that would really help us convey the financial and programmatic impact that COVID has had on domestic and sexual violence agencies. The responses that we got back from members were instrumental in developing our COVID impact snapshot publication. That publication was widely distributed through various public policy activities in 2021. It also really helped us to prepare for the 2022 legislative session. So at the end of 2021, we put out another survey. And again, we asked our members, provide us with this data about the financial and programmatic impact COVID has had on your agency. We really needed to hear from you all because that first impact report was so instrumental. We wanted to make sure that we had data to follow up on that, to take back into legislative session this year and continue to lift up the work of the life-saving, life-changing services you all provide in your communities. So we have closed that survey and we are now in the process of um, really developing what that second impact report will look like. So be on the lookout for that to hit your inboxes and mailboxes within the coming months. I also wanna take a moment to talk about our new MSR. So MSR is a monthly service report. We collect monthly service reports from all member agencies and those really help us to describe the wide range of services that you all are providing in your community as well as any unmet requests for services. Every year we produce stat sheets that really lay out our monthly service reports and those are instrumental in our public policy efforts as well. So throughout the last few years, there have been discussions and questions that come up at regional meetings, they come up in our membership committee, they come up in our trainings on monthly service reports and outcomes about documenting the housing work that domestic and sexual violence agencies are doing. So prior to this month, MSRs would collect shelter and motel stays and transitional housing, but there wasn't really a place to enter the number of people whom you may have assisted with their first month's rent or getting enrolled in rapid rehousing, permanent supportive housing. We also know that during the pandemic, Many shelters moved away from having uh, uh, multiple families in a room together or multiple individual survivors in a room together to instead really focus on sheltering individual families together, individual survivors together. We know that many agencies wanna continue that practice beyond the pandemic. And uh, we also know that we've heard from advocates that having fewer people in a room together 
has reduced communal living conflicts and given advocates the opportunity to spend more time working with individual residents. So it's been better overall for the physical and mental health of residents within shelter, but also for staff. We also know it's just a more trauma-informed way of providing services when we don't pack people in crisis into the same room together. So hearing all of those concerns, hearing that members really wanna keep that as a practice beyond the pandemic, we've decided that we would start capturing uh, the housing work that you all are doing. So beginning in January, MSRs will now capture the work that you're doing for housing specifically. You'll have the option starting this month to enter that information into your MSR section with the label housing. So we've tried to make it really clear for you to start entering this new data in there. This is something that we heard over the last several years that you wanted and you needed, and we wanted to be responsive to that. The last thing that I wanna mention is kind of a larger research project that is rather new in its undertaking for us. And that was a partnership that got established last year with the Department of Health and Senior Services and Missouri Partners in Prevention. We began a project in collaboration with them to develop a comprehensive approach to prevent sexual harassment and assault on college campuses. What we've been hearing from many of our campus partners over the last few years is they need a bystander intervention program that addresses more than just violence prevention, also addressing the other intersecting factors that we know students on campus face, but they want one that is flexible enough rather to tailor to their students and their campus needs, but they also want something that really meets the individual needs of where students are right now. So we heard that we wanted to take this unique opportunity as a state to build on our collective strengths and really figure out how can we build a program that any campus in Missouri can pick up, tailor to their needs, and then run with to have it be successful and sustainable. So our role in that was to really focus in on doing an environmental scan of campuses. What's working well for campuses? What strengths do you have that we can build up from? And what are opportunities for growth? We also really wanted to center this project on community connectedness. We know that community connectedness is a protective factor against multiple forms of violence. And so if we center bystander intervention around community connectedness, we are setting up bystanders on campus for success because they feel empowered and connected to take an active role and being part of something much bigger on their campus community. So in the coming months, you'll see us release a report that will be uh, released to Missouri campuses and MOCADSV member agencies uh, that go along with different training opportunities from Partners in Prevention. All of this is to serve kind of a twofold. One, to give campuses what they need to work with students, but also to give our member agencies in the community a stronger connection to campus and to have really comprehensive and complementary prevention messages that go beyond just the individual students on a college campus. So we're really excited to be working on all three of these things as a carryover from 2021 and build out from there in 2022. So with that, I will turn it back over to you, Megan. Thanks so much, Matthew. 
I really appreciated how you connected um, our kind of core service tenants specifically around research, which is often the one that we kind of, it plays a huge background role, but doesn't always get, you know, the shiny front page attention, if that makes sense. So I loved hearing that kind of connection of how the research really informs a lot of our work. And I'm really excited to see some of these reports that are coming out. So last, but certainly not least, we will hear from our public policy director, Jennifer Carter-Dockler, about our public policy priorities and opportunities for involvement with legislative advocacy. So it's all you, Jennifer. Great, thanks, Megan. And thanks, Matthew. Um, our research is such a fundamental part of our public policy efforts. They often wanna have the data to back up our ass. And so that is a critical part of us being able to pursue our legislative priorities and, and accomplishments. Um, this is my seventh legislative session as the public policy director for the Missouri Coalition. Although as Cheryl was saying earlier, I'm not new to the coalition. Next week is actually my 19th anniversary here. And I still remember when Cheryl called me to make me the job offer. I was in a parking lot after a local legislative event in Columbia. Um, so I was thinking back on that as she was talking. Um, so part of why I love being involved with public policy is because we talk a lot about alliance with our membership and other community partners, but establishing and maintaining religious relationships within the political realm is just as important. Um, the relationship building we do with community partners, this is a skill that we all know. Um, it's just taking it to under the dome, as we like to call it, um, the Missouri General Assembly. So I want to talk a little bit about some dynamics we're seeing with the 2022 uh, legislative uh, process this year, um, what we're working on, and what I'm really excited about for this year. So 2022 dynamics, you know, every legislative session has some things that are pretty similar and other dynamics that really stand out. So for example, in 2020, we lost six weeks due to COVID and stay at home orders. Um, 2022, there's a few interesting dynamics that are emerging. One is there are more budget bills being discussed, even if they haven't been filed yet, because of the influx of federal stimulus funds. Missouri has been a little bit behind other states and having a very um, critical lens as to which funds it wants to use um, because there is mindfulness of what is going to really help Missouri sustain over many, many years. Um, and so I can't recall a previous legislative session where in a January, the only priority bills we testified on were budget bills. Um, that was a first this year, but part of why is because there are multiple bills being discussed and it is looking incredibly promising that legislators understand why the ARPA funds, um, the American Rescue Plan Act dollars should be used to maintain victim services when we're still experiencing the effects of the pandemic. Like this is not the time to cut off services for individuals who are in crisis and in need. Another dynamic in addition to the General Assembly trying to figure out what to do with the federal stimulus funds and making no guarantees that they're going to use all of it, they are prioritizing what they are going to use, is we're in an election year. You know, every even calendar year, whether it's 2020, 2018, 2022, um, it's a big election year. This is not as big as a presidential election year, but it's still the second most popular election year. And so elections are on the forefront as 
frankly, Senator Blunt announced he's not running for office again. There's a lot of potentially moving parts in terms of other people uh, vying for his office. And then if they get elected, people vying for their office. So there's just a lot of moving parts this year. And put on redistricting on top of that. So every 10 years when we have our census, um, it impacts our districts. Um, it impacts both our congressional districts as well as our state senator and house um, districts because it's based on making sure uh, population, like each legislator is representing a similar number of individuals. And so we are also in the midst of congressional and state redistricting, which means by the time elections start happening this summer, the primary elections, you may or may not be in a new district or you may be having a new legislator representing you. Um, that's also a big focus of what the General Assembly is working on right now is what are the congressional districts going to look like. So that has taken a lot of time. And COVID is still a factor in the building. Um, there are some offices that are saying you cannot enter without a mask, other offices that no one's wearing a mask. There's still reduced seating in many hearing rooms and trying to allow people to spread out um, because if you want to get sick quickly, the Missouri Capitol is an easy place to do so. Um, so there's still this balance right now of things are happening in person. I don't see us having any shutdown this year. And yet we're, you know, they're not wanting as many events. You know, I can't reserve any space to meet members on the house side of the building. So I will say my observation has been there's still fewer people than prior years in the building. Um, and yet it's also been nice to be back in the building after sitting out last legislative session and doing everything virtually. Um, it is very nice to be back in the building. So relationship building, um, alliance as folks were talking about, this includes legislators. Um, why is this so important? There are many factors in Missouri that make it critical. One is we have the joy of term limits. So legislators turn out, we have 163 House members, 34 senators, not to mention state office holders and our federal delegation that doesn't have term limits. Um, but so we have a lot of ongoing education, particularly at the state level about our issues, our funding needs. Um, and so that never ends. Uh, and because of term limits, um, we can see legislators who leave the political realm and others who stick around, but in different roles. And so that relationship we made with them when they first came into office can continue. We see previous legislators now serving as staffers or legislative liaisons for state departments or running for bigger offices. They tend to stay somewhat in the political realm. And so they don't necessarily leave. And so all of those relationships that we do build over time. And it's a critical part of our legislative advocacy. You know, sometimes we're having to have really hard, challenging conversations about why an idea that they really think is so in good, in good intentioned and would be helpful is really challenging and hard. And so in having trust and being able to have really good conversation about those challenges is critical. In addition to legislators, there's also their staffers. Staffers stick around generally for a long time, even if they move from office to office, they are absolutely critical in also understanding our issues. They sometimes run for office. Um, and so never minimize the role that legislators staff have in part of our advocacy. Um, they are also really critical. 
as well as other lobbyists and nonprofit policy wonks. I mean, again, you get um, into this work and people just sort of change positions. And so there's a lot of relationship building we can do with other folks who are involved in the policy arena. So what are our priorities specifically for 2022? Obviously appropriations. We're incredibly grateful that in the governor's recommendations and so far having very strong support from house budget leadership is to be able to use federal stimulus dollars to help supplement the Victims of Crime Act grant funding while we wait for future deposits at the federal level, as well as utilizing funds specifically for domestic violence and sexual assault service providers. Um, that is going to be critical at a time when volunteer numbers are still down, fundraising is still down, and they've got increased costs. So we're very grateful that those numbers are so promising um, and we'll hopefully it will continue through the rest of legislative session. I'm particularly excited about several pieces of sexual assault legislation that have been filed. We spent the last year working as the Missouri Rights of Victims of Sexual Assault Task Force um, and identifying nine overarching recommendations that will hopefully lead our efforts over the next few years to better address the needs of adult or older teen sexual assault victims. Although we've made a lot of progress the last few years, this was the first opportunity to really sit and focus on adult survivors of sexual assault. And what else do we need to do as a state to better address their needs? We've already seen multiple bills filed that relate to the recommendations of this task force report. One is Senator Shute's Senate Bill 640, which is a revived sexual assault survivors bill of rights. When it originally passed and got signed into law, it was in that 2020 session when we lost six weeks. And so we knew we needed to go in and make some enhancements. I feel like the process we went through during this interim, we have a better sexual assault survivors bill of rights than we could have ever had in any other circumstance. We spent so much time going through it and really focusing on what is good? What do we want that we don't have elsewhere? And how do we make this easy to implement? So I'm incredibly excited about what we produced and I'm hopeful that it will get a hearing and make it to the finish line this legislative session. Um, in addition, Senator Holly thompson Rader, who was also, both she and Senator Shoup were both task force members. She has filed for the second year um, legislation that would expand what is considered Missouri's rape shield law. Right now, prior sexual conduct of a witness is only admissible during trial. Well, in Missouri, there's multiple times that someone is interviewed, whether it was in um, depositions, um, there's multiple parts of the criminal justice system that we want to make sure the intention of why that law was originally passed um, is expanded to all parts of that process. Um, and we know that those won't be the only two pieces of legislation that are filed in relation to the task force, um, but those were the first two that were pre-filed in December that I'm hoping we'll get some traction on um, this year. Um, something else that I wanna start kind of building the case for looking forward to the future is one of the other things um, is that there's been a lot of money put into clearing the backlog in Missouri whether it's been federal funding for the attorney general's office with the sexual assault kit initiative, general revenue in last year's budget to help with testing or using federal stimulus funding in the governor's recommendations in this year's budget. When all of those tests results start coming back, 
there is going to be pressure and demand on rape crisis centers in Missouri to be able to provide advocacy services to folks. So that is something we need to be incredibly mindful as we sort of set the stage, because I'm already thinking about what are we going to work on in 2023, is how do we make sure we've got the funds to support rape crisis centers as we've now cleared the backlog and we have hundreds of CODIS kits coming in where really law enforcement should be partnering with a local advocate from a rape crisis center to do those notifications. There's a lot of other bills we're working on. Um, you can find our policy priorities on our website. We release a monthly legislative update. Our January one will be released in the morning. So check out our website January through May for our legislative priorities. We also are sharing that on social media. So if you're not following us on Facebook or Twitter to get our latest public policy um, updates, I would encourage you to do so. Um, and then one of the other things I'm excited about just thinking about our website is I love the new look. It might seem like a small thing, but one of the things I had asked for was I would really love when you go to our website, the look, you know, you're thinking and talking about Missouri. So I love having the Missouri Capitol, the Missouri State Tree. Um, that's one of the things I've been just visually um, really enjoying with the new website. And with that, I will pass it back on to Megan. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I really appreciate the website plug. Um, but also, I really loved how you talked about our public policy priorities and how so much of our public policy work is connected to the work that we do in other areas, too. This kind of brings back to how everything we do is so connected and each of our core tenets are really important to providing meaningful services and meaningful change in Missouri. So I wanna thank all of our guests for sharing. Um, we have folks on the live who kind of have a little bit of a delay right now. So there's usually like a three to five minute kind of delay. So we might have some questions and comments coming in through the live chat and commenting on Facebook. And so in the meantime, um, I'm just going to ask a question of the whole team so that we can hear from that as we wait for those comments and questions to come in. And we have a coalition staff who are moderating that stuff on Facebook for us. We can make sure we can answer your questions. However, if we end up ending the live on our end before your questions get answered, we'll be making sure to connect with you all through Facebook, the Facebook comments. And then also if you have any questions that you think of later um, or don't end up getting fully answered, then feel free to reach out to us um, to ask your questions. So I'm gonna go ahead and ask folks, everyone to share. Um, some of you might have already talked about this a little bit, but I'd love to hear from staff members about what you were looking forward to the most about this year from what the coalition is offering. So we're gonna start off with Cheryl again. So the answer I had in my head when we started is different after listening to all of my colleagues. <laughs> um, and I think it really is the opportunity for Alliance that I'm always interested in looking at what would not, what is the unexpected partner that we would partner with. And so in particular, as Nancy was talking about the numbers of community members that we have had in training in this past year, I think it provides an opportunity for Alliance, not only with the coalition as the organization, but the coalition as our, our membership. And so I'm really sort of intrigued and excited about connecting them either with what it is that we're doing at um, the organization or whether how we can connect them with one of the member agencies that are close to them. So I think that's ripe for opportunity and that I'm very excited to see where that may go. Thanks so much, Cheryl. Over to Nancy. So I want to say the same thing, but I'm not going to. 
because I was thinking the same thing. I, I have all these partners in my mind that we've been reaching out and trying to really build good connections with and really made a lot of progress in the last year. But I will change it. I'll say something different. What I'm really, really, really excited about this year is our online training. We are um, going to have new tools to really make it much more engaging and interesting. And what we have now is good, but I, I know that that's the future, right? And we reach a lot more folks through our online training than we can in person. And so I want it to be the best it can be. And I'm super excited to see what that's going to look like this year. Thanks, Nancy. On to you, Havana. Yeah, I'm really excited about the Advocacy Cafe because I think it's just the bite-sized amount of information that you can get in the midday and it's just going to you know, ignite you and have you more fired up about doing something different or reaching out to someone again, back to the Alliance, like building some more partnerships. So I'm really excited about all of our partners that are seasoned and some of our new partners that we can kind of share with our members. Thanks, Savannah. Uh, on to you, Matthew. Oh gosh, where to even choose from. Um, uh, I feel like all of my colleagues gave such really great updates um, that I've been sitting here trying to think of like, well, which one am I most excited about? All the things. Um, I think when it really comes down to it though, the thing I'm most excited about is our launch of SALA strategies for our workplace solutions. That's an area that we've been working on for a while. It cuts across education, alliance, research, and public policy. So being able to really work with employers and educate them on the dynamics of domestic and sexual violence, um, uh, educating them on how to prevent it from occurring in the workplace, and uh, working with some non-traditional partners in order to really get that done. Um, I think all of that builds really well on a success that we had in the 2021 legislative session of VESA, the Victims Economic Safety and Security Act. And so I just see so many opportunities for us to continue building on that and really incorporating preventing gender-based violence in the workplace and starting to couple that workforce development, economic development with sexual violence prevention. So I'm really excited about where that'll go with us. Thanks, Matthew. And then Jennifer, uh, hopefully you have something to add since everybody had so many things. That's the tough part about going last, but hopefully um, you have something to share with us about what you're most excited about. Of course I do. Um, so I'm actually excited about um, advocacy days this year and being able to continue having a, a hybrid model. Um, we always are promoting February as the time for our members to connect with legislators. And what we did last year, because so many members weren't vaccinated yet, is if they were comfortable coming into the building, they did, but many opted for virtual. Um, and that went over really well. There were a few legislators who preferred phone call to Zoom, but many opted for Zoom. And what we found is the length of their appointment and the time they had talking to legislators was longer than when they were in the building. Like they were setting them up on Fridays um, when they weren't having to bounce between floor committee hearings. And so often those meetings were a really good 20 or 30 minutes, which is not as long as they usually get in the Capitol. So we're encouraging that this year, whether it's due to travel 
or staff shortings at facilities. Like if there is a logistical reason why traveling to Jefferson City would be challenging, still think about reaching out to legislators starting in February to set up virtual appointments to talk about the coalition's legislative priorities for 2022 and how they would benefit you. We also know there's folks that are gonna be coming to the building. Um, there are some perks to being in person where, hey, I couldn't get an appointment with that legislator, but I'm now in the elevator, so I'm going to go ahead and talk to her or him. And you do miss that with virtual. You can't just easily walk around a corner and see somebody and start saying, hey, can I walk with you to the, the committee hearing and just talk to you about a couple of things? So I'm excited that we do have some members that are going to be meeting with me in the Capitol. We're going to do some joint appointments together and continuing to have a hybrid this year, being both cautious about group settings and masking up, and yet also recognizing having that in-person connection is really important. Thanks so much, Jennifer. And for folks who are looking for other ways to be involved with legislative advocacy work that we're doing, we have a new page on our website. It's called Advocating for Change, and it provides some opportunities and some options for folks who are looking for how they can engage with that more, or just looking for more information about the legislative process in Missouri. Thank you for joining us. This was a recorded live event, now in a podcast format. Join us live on Facebook on the last Friday of each month. The recorded webcast is available on our YouTube channel, and you can find all our Momentum Live podcast episodes on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next month.